0: This program contains explicit content and subject matter which may be unsuitable for some listeners. Discretion is advised. You've got questions. We've got all the answers when it comes to sex and more. This is the A to Z of sex with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Every week, we pick a series of topics that you've been wanting to know about. It's an encyclopedia of sex, intimacy, relationships, and so much more than that. Let's get things started. Now, here's your host, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the A to Z of Sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I'm a sex and intimacy coach and a psychologist, and I've spent the last 30-plus years helping people to create hot, healthy sexual and intimate relationships. And those of you who have listened know we are working our way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. Today, the letter is R and R is for relationship skills. Joining me today to talk about the skills needed for great relationships is Tony Fonderson. He's a psych K facilitator, author and relationship guide. He teaches singles and couples who struggle in love key relationship skills so that they can prevent their partnerships from crumbling after the honeymoon period is over. His videos have touched millions online and his forthcoming book is from struggling to cuddling five steps to your best relationship ever. Welcome to the show, Tony.
1: Thank you. Dr. Laurie Beth. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing well. Listen, guys, we're running a bit late today, so we are not going to have breaks. So expect to sit with us and go straight through. Okay. Um, So, um, Yay, technology, right? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Always gets you when you're on live.
0: Oh, I know, I know. So um, so relationship skills are something I spend a lot of time with clients on. And um, it's it's always interesting to me to talk with people about the things they think are crucial. For me, starting place number one is always teaching people how to become embodied and present. Because a lot of the times they're not even there. Correct. They're in their past, they're in the rest of their day, they're yeah. in next week, they're in next month, they're in next year, but they're not present in the relationship.
1: Yeah, we tend to be everywhere but from except now, here in the now, and in our bodies because um, I believe that comes from conditioning, a lot of childhood conditioning. Um, and a lot of us learned how to dissociate as a way to escape um, situations that we couldn't escape and what used to be really Appropriate and functional when we were younger, in relationships, Uh, it's not exactly the right thing for you not to be absolutely present with your partner there. So lots of people have conditioned habits of not being present, and they bring that with them into their relationships unwittingly. That's reading absolutely,
0: absolutely, and I mean certainly, you know, dissociation is a fabulous defense. It's a great one. Not everybody learns it. Most people who learn it have learned it because of exposure to pretty intense trauma, so um, you don't really wish that on anybody. But it is a great defense because it allows us to compartmentalize. It allows us to be able to act during a situation, any kind of an emergency situation, without actually feeling the feelings of it. Um, and sometimes even in the presence of horror to be able to do things in order to deal with the immediate situation without feeling it. So that's great. It's, it's a nice skill to have, particularly if you're going to be exposed to um, any further trauma in the future. But it sucks when it's automatic. Um, it makes um, orgasm difficult, if not impossible. And it makes good sex it makes
1: it impossible. <laughs> yeah. And, not even
0: yeah. Yeah. And it makes good sex impossible as well. So, um, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think it's important for people to understand that usually these habits that we have were functional at some point. So not to beat ourselves up over that, it's just a matter of they've outlived their function and we haven't learned new skills yet.
1: That is correct. That is correct. And, um, we spend a lot of time teaching people how to use the left brains, um, through the educational system. And some people even get, uh, good life lessons, as in they're really, really street smart. They know how to handle different situations um, which are outside the classroom. However, very, very few of us are actually trained or actually taught by our peers or by our caregivers or by our mentors how to behave in an intimate relational context in a way that actually enhances our enjoyment of our partner's company, our partner's enjoyment of our company, and we can grow and evolve, you know, closer um, a lot of people kind of, like, stumble into relationships with great intentions, but then when the going gets tough, they don't have the skills to actually sustain or, you know, go through those difficult moments, and that's such a pity.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I, th- I also think, though, that um, to a degree, we don't, we, I mean, we don't learn relationship skills, period. Um, you know, even before you th- talk about partner relationships, you know, we're not taught emotional skills in school as a rule. I remember um, in 1988 when I was um, doing some um, interning work at a, um, a primary school on a military base, um, there was a program that had just been released at the time to teach kids about self-esteem and, and negative thoughts and feelings. It was, it was called Pumsy the Dragon. And um, I got my hands on this program and went in to teach five-year-olds about self-esteem. I was aware that a lot of the families um, that were sending their children to this school weren't in the best circumstances. And so these kids were definitely not learning emotional skills at home. Um, And it was fabulous. I mean, the program was fantastic. We had kids really being able to identify when something felt bad but was outside of their control, when something felt bad but was in their control, when somebody said something not to internalize necessarily the negative message, um, it was a, a very multiracial group of kids, as military situations often are. So, we, yeah. you know, we were dealing with race, we were dealing with religion, we were dealing with um, domestic violence, and sometimes even revealed abuse, and mm-hmm. all just trying to teach these five year olds how to value themselves.
1: Yeah, that, that's absolutely fantastic. I wish that was much more widespread um, um, because I find it so necessary. I mean, emotional intelligence is something which can be nurtured and encouraged and actually developed over throughout people's lifetimes. And I don't know about you, I only found out about emotional intelligence when my relationship like crashed big time. And I only discovered, you know, that there were actual skills and teachable skills out there in order to, to relate better. Because I just thought that, hey, you know, you fall in love, you have good intentions, um, and that, you know, love will conquer all and all those kinds of cultural fantasies, which um, so many of us are actually brought up with. and there's a difference between our chronological age and our emotional age. Absolutely. (laughs) And um, a lot of people don't really get that until it's kind of a crisis situation. (laughs) And uh, that's really, you know, unfortunately, that's one of the things where, you know, I'd really like to, you know, make a difference in. That's one of the areas. Because even if we look at what's happening on a global scale, there's a lot of conflicts between Different groups, different, you know, people have different ways of doing things. And many people believe that a difference in opinion is automatically has to lead to a conflict and a power struggle. It just doesn't have to be that way. But how do we teach groups of people to actually collaborate from starting from places of difference? We have to teach them to have better relationships. And that starts as us individuals before we can extrapolate that. And I believe that actually starts in the home, in the family, in the units, or, you know, in small groups. To,
0: to me, it doesn't, right? And I agree with you that it should start in the home.
1: But it doesn't. Oh, yeah. But it
0: doesn't. <laughs> and the reason is because what we do is we pass down what we learn. And yeah. unless you've done something like um, have therapy, where you look at the different things and the maybe maladaptive stuff that you learned and the not optimum stuff that you learn and you make different choices and then you teach your children you know I was in the in the fortuitous position of not having a child until late later in life um and so I'd already done um a shed load of work on myself and I'd been practicing for quite a while before I had my son when I was 39 and um so I knew that I wasn't going to have the same kinds of emotional patterns um, that I in the family I grew up in. But my relationship with his father, there were some not-so-good patterns. Mm-hmm. And I actually had to redress, address those directly. And I did address those directly with him as he got older and mm-hmm. said, you know, you can see the difference between my current relationship where we don't have the, the same patterns and the relationship with your dad and what the problems were. And, you know, this is about... For example, communicating when there's conflict and being willing and able to sit down and deal with it. And, you know, even if voices are raised to be able to work your way through it and not um, become passive aggressive, which is a huge thing, which I can't stand. But, you know, that happens. So either passive aggressive or aggressive or just avoid. And a lot of people just absent themselves. Check out completely. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think I was able to do that because I had had the therapy before I had the child so i already looked at the stuff that was going on in my family of origin i mean i I still think we're all works in progress and you can always learn more but you know i've done a a lot of work um primarily because i was traumatized very young so i had that i i couldn't function unless i did the work so you know that that definitely makes a difference but but we don't teach parents how to do this. We don't teach people how to do this. You know, the parenting classes that you would take, none of them are emotional parenting. And people don't get offered emotional parenting until they're down the line and, and only if they're kind of enlightened. You know, it's not something that's considered as standard. But we also don't teach these skills in school. We should be teaching emotional skills and social skills and communication skills while in school at kindergarten level. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, you know, when we teach sharing, right? When we start out with, you know, you need to share and you need to take take terms, there's no reason not to take that the extra step and to say, look at how you feel when, you know, Johnny doesn't want to share with you. You know, and and this is why you need to share. Let's look at your feelings. Let's work at the right. feeling level and talk about the feelings and give them names. I'm yeah, always
1: people how to or children how to nurture themselves because um, what I try to teach the people I work with is you should have a relationship with yourself. Absolutely. And you should nurture those relationships with yourself. Or I even go into, I believe a lot in parts theory, um, whereby I say, look, we have different self parts and different self personalities which kind of show up and take over at different times. And it's best for you to find out them out, go and actually make contact with them, know who they are, and actually create a secure relationship with yourself. And then from that place, do your love transaction with the people that you love, because you need to love yourself. And a lot of people know that we have holes in our soul or holes in our heart, and we go out seeking someone who's going to fill that void in us. But that creates things like codependency, and that creates unhealthy dependency patterns and unhealthy power struggles. So short term, it may look like a solution on the surface, but medium term and long term, it can be very, destructive. And a lot of people get into these situations not because they want to, it's just that they don't know any better. Yeah. Because nobody taught us how.
0: Well, the idea of of, of looking for your other half, for example, and and I'm not whole unless I'm with them. And that's a really popular romantic notion, but it actually is awful right? I, I, I don't want to be with somebody who's not whole unless they're with me. I want to be with another whole human being. I'm exactly. a whole human being. To say someone completes me, again, it's hard. I mean, it sounds lovely and romantic, but it's like, well, I don't want you to complete me. I'd like you to add to me. Mm-hmm. I'd like you to
1: compliment me.
0: Yeah. i love, me.
1: like you to compliment me and I'd like you to walk side by side by me. I don't want to drag you behind, from behind me and I don't want to be dragged by you. I'd like us to walk together hand in hand.
0: Yeah, well, and even I mean and even in relationships where where people are playing with power dynamics, it's the same thing. You're not looking for somebody who is going to fill the hole because nobody ever will and that's the other thing people don't understand is is it if you've got that kind of a hole, it's never enough. Yeah. Because yeah. there's there's no self-confidence, there's no self, there's no good foundation no self. Yeah. <laughs> well, often there's no self. Sometimes there is still a self, but You need that foundation. And the first skill that you need, which so many people are missing, is how to soothe yourself. Beautiful. Yeah. 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 And that's birth to age three, by the way. Healthy, soothing. That's when you learn that. So if you didn't get your needs met really early in life, you're going to have a hard time soothing yourself, which means that you're going to have a hard time whenever there's a conflict because you are not going to be able to calm yourself down. You're not going to be able to compartmentalize when it's appropriate. You're not going to be able to listen to the other because you're going to be so overwhelmed with your own feelings and you're going to look for somebody to deal with that. And you don't make good choices when you're doing that.
1: Never, never, because you don't have, yeah, you don't have access to all of your internal resources and self-soothing. Again, that's something which you hope that your parents, your, your mother, your, your, you know, your primary caregiver, your mother would, You know, when an infant is born, mom kind of soothes them. Mom lends the baby her nervous system for soothing, for comfort, for safety, for nurturing. And then the infant gets used to the fact that, hey, mom is always going to be here. If I cry, if I'm uncomfortable, she's going to try and work out what's going on. And she's going to try and do something about it. And then the child progressively gets that confidence and the child's nervous system, biologically, neurologically, kind of develops that capacity, you know, incrementally to soothe themselves and soothe super- absolutely, and sense of, sense of self-esteem. Many of us just didn't have that because mm-hmm. our mums didn't know how, because our moms, they themselves, were just doing the best that they could. And as you know, you're a mom, you know, a who doesn't come with an instruction manual. Okay. <laughs> and uh, sometimes you literally have to make it up as you go along because you don't know any better, you know, with the best of intentions. I'm not bashing moms. I'm a parent. You know, I've been a single dad since, you know, 2004. So, you know, I know it's not easy uh, for parents, but, you know, children are completely helpless. They look to mom and dad as gods and goddesses who will take care of them. And whatever example is set down in your family of origin tends to be what sticks, tends to be the foundation upon which you build your relational life. Absolutely. a lot of those examples aren't particularly ideal
0: no and i think you know the thing about zero to three that's so important is it's the it's it's mostly pre-verbal and so um learning those skills a bit later you can do and i certainly teach people all the time but it's harder it's harder than because what you tr- when you want to access what people experienced, it's hard to put words to things that didn't have words you can, and again, there are techniques to do that, but it's not easy and it's not ideal.
1: Yeah, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't flow naturally. And if you have um, situations whereby um, one partner is more securely attached than another, I find that those are the most, like, thorny relationships um, to, to resolve problems with, whereby there's a big disparity in in, in the way that um, each partner handles conflicts or handles distress within themselves and within the couple. Um, those imbalances are really, really tricky to, to navigate through. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, and also, often the person who's the healthiest, this is always the thing, and, and people hate when I say this, when I'm, and I've got couples in therapy, they can't stand when I say this. Unfortunately, the person who's the healthiest has the burden of making things right, of helping bring the other one up, because they're the only one who's capable in the middle of the argument. So yeah. it's like, why do I always have to be the one to shelve my stuff and calm them down? And yeah. I don't want to be that one. I want to get to express myself first. And it's like, yeah, but your partner is unable to hear you. Yeah. yeah. So you're yeah. going to have to do the, be the adult right now. They yeah. you yeah. brought up to a place where they're being an adult. Yeah. And it, that's... It's possible
1: because sometimes people get stuck. Sometimes, you know, people love that, hey, my partner's going to be the adult. I'll just get stuck in the child and have the childhood that I never had as a biological child. I'm going to be an emotional child in my relationship. And that leads to a lot of tension and frustration.
0: Well, yeah. Um, that, I mean, that's usually frustrating. So I think, you know, I mean... When we move on from self-soothing, which we both agree, you know, those beginning skills, those foundational skills, mm-hmm. um, you, in order to be embodied, that's another one. You know, not just the, you know, yes, not dissociation, not dissociating, but uh, but actively being embodied. Uh-huh. And that most people find that quite difficult to do. Again, we don't learn this. We There's so much negative um, stuff around our bodies as kids, you know. Anytime we find we're having pleasure, there's a parent telling us not to do.
1: Don't do it. Yeah, exactly. Don't do it. Don't
0: feel it. Don't be it. Not yeah. nice. Not okay. And then
1: the natural curiosity that you have about your own body or about the body of a friend or, you know, little boyfriend, little girlfriend, it's completely frowned upon. Um, sometimes people have, you know, cultural overlays or religious overlays on top of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which are then, you know, even, and then you're a child, you're very, very, confused. And if you or you don't have an environment in which... You can ask innocent questions and be communicated to at your level of developments, you know, in a way as a child, I remember, you know, playing hooky with a girlfriend when we were, you know, at babysitters when I was like four or five and uh, the babysitter was like the shoemender's wife. She found us and she went apeshit. She went, you know, nuts. I mean, looking back at it now, For a pair of four years old we were four four and a half or something like that she went bananas and i can still remember you know you know her rage and her fury and her righteousness and all of that and for a little child it's just totally inappropriate (laughs) you know the many ways she could have handled it explaining things at our level that hey you're, you're not supposed to do that or do something else or whatever but you know that visceral response that she took you know, made an imprint.
0: Of course. And, and that's not unusual. Um, and, that it, I, you know, I, I do uh, have done over the years and still do some, but I've done an awful lot of family court work. And I can't tell you the number of times that I've been referred a case where the social worker or the guardian is terribly, terribly concerned about sexualized, I'm putting it in quotes, sexualized behavior in a, in a three or four year old. And everybody's sure that they must have experienced something or seen something. And I take a look at the situation and the behavior is normal three or four year old behavior. Um, There's lots of masturbation that goes on at that age. Um, It's not masturbation to orgasm as a rule. It's just self-discovery and self-pleasuring and often self-soothing because that is one of the ways that kids from around the age of two and a half learn to soothe themselves because they find it brings them pleasure and makes them calm. Um, and um, and there's innocent experimentation that will happen. If you leave kids alone together, it will happen. They're curious. They want to know. There's nothing in it. They're not trying to have sex. They haven't seen other people have sex. They're not touching each other in any kind of a negative way. At most, you usually get, like, a finger somewhere. Usually, they're looking at each other, not touching yeah. each other. Uh-huh. Um, and if left to do this and come out of that stage by themselves... They're usually, you know, they have a much healthier attitude about bodies and themselves. Unfortunately, people freak out.
1: Yeah, and then that sets up a pattern whereby um, uh, a child starts distrusting their own body. Yeah. Um, And that distrust can then lead to, you know, uh, kind of separation between themselves and an over-identification with things outside of themselves rather than with themselves. And in relationships, that's not necessarily a good thing.
0: No, when it's, it's
1: that, what that transforms into when they're adults um, is yeah. Lots I would of shame say maladapt- yeah, shame, guilt, shame. um and you know, a lot of maladaptive behavior to suppress the shame and guilt, which gets mm-hmm. them in, into more trouble and puts them into ties them up in knots.
0: Yeah. And yeah. and 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 a lot of the times, you know, they're they're really, you know, all of these things. There's nothing to be ashamed of. It's, it's quite normal ex, exploration. And um, it's quite hard for parents, you know, and I talk with parents about, well, what do you do? You know, your, your kid's masturbating in the middle of the store. That's probably not okay. And you, know, what, you know, what do you do? It's, it's like, it's a gentle, this is for private time. Right. And And we're around a lot of people now, so this is not okay to do around a lot of people, but it's fine to do when you're home and in private. And it's that simple and a deflection, and that usually will take care of it. It's a freakout that will keep it going because yeah. the child's gotten a response from you. And they learn really quickly what will get a response um, and what won't. And if they want a response, then, you There's know, it's like really a
1: child to, to discover your buttons and to push them repeatedly. Yeah,
0: so it's like, whoa, I can get a really big response if I do this. Um, and so all you've done is made that worse. You've also then layered on some shame and some misunderstanding about what's acceptable and what isn't. And as they get older and as they find more pleasure, then there's their shame and pleasure become...
1: Associated.
0: Associated with each other. I mean, there are some things that that's okay with, um, but but if that's the overriding connection...
1: yeah.
0: Yeah, then yeah. people find it really hard to engage sexually
1: mm-hmm. because
0: they... They're or even-
1: have a difficult relationship with just pleasure in general. Yes, and pleasure
0: yeah, in yeah, general. Yeah, yeah. Not just
1: sexually, just with pleasure in general, but it gets massively intensified in sexual situations.
0: Yeah, and yeah. I, I mean, it, it to me, it's really sad when I still see those cases because right now we're in the 21st century. There's no reason why adequate... Complete sexual education as well as um, um, emotional education, emotional intelligence, and the skills you need shouldn't be happening from a very young age at an age appropriate level and incorporated into every school curriculum. Rather yeah. see that than emphasis on the tests that they're always emphasizing. You know, good citizenship skills, they often call it over here, um, but they don't teach anything that his value. Like, like, for example, kids should be taught consent from uh, as soon as they are interacting with other humans.
1: Exactly. Consent, you know, they should learn about boundaries. They should learn about respect. They should learn about, you know, being able to speak up. They should learn about, you know, exploring curiosity. They should learn about that other people may have different opinions or different ways of achieving the same things. Um, there's so many things that we could teach our children and yeah, it's a pity, you know, each generation just, with the best of intention, just perpetrates what they believe is the best. Or, worse still, um, I don't know if this happened to you, in my generation, a lot of us had situations where we were growing up which we didn't like. And when we became adults, we swore that, okay, our kids and our families will never go through that. So, we lived our adult lives being the opposite of our families of origin. Now, the intention was good, but that we forgot ourselves in that. So if I was trying to be the opposite of mom or the opposite of dad, I'm not trying to be Tony. Right. (laughs) Unfortunately,
0: unfortunately, I think that a lot of people do that. I see that most frequently with substance abuse. It's the easiest example to give, right? So somebody grows up in a household where parents are alcoholic and they say um, they can do one of, a number of things. Some people grow up and just internalize it and they drink to excess. Mm-hmm. So they follow the pattern. And some people go, the, the I'm going to be the opposite and they're complete teetotal and they're very rigid about things, but they don't actually work on the issues that come up as a result of that. So it's a very um, artificial identity that they create, which is basically everything is the opposite, as you were saying, of, yeah. the, of the parent.
1: I'm the
0: be, Right. I'm going to be completely the opposite. Um, and that usually doesn't work Uh, Because it's not a real structure and it doesn't include what you've experienced and you want to build. And the third way is the middle way where people, you know, try and figure it out and usually end up in therapy. That's what happens really. Um, Because they try and figure it out. They try and balance it. They try and understand it. They try and develop. They try and find out what is a good relationship to alcohol look like. What are the skills you need that alcohol was serving? Because that's the thing people don't realize. And most pe- people who abuse substances are doing so in part because they don't have the emotional skills and the coping skills to deal. And that's their set of skills. Okay.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's their soothing mechanism. That's their go-to yeah. soothing mechanism. Yeah. 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 They, 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 they use it as a kind of um, a crutch to lean on. Yeah.
0: And that, but that's because they don't have other skills. And so if you're asking them to give it up, you then need to teach them other skills. And sometimes people don't get that part.
1: And they don't want to learn other skills, or they're scared, or the idea of learning a new skill, of replacing their go-to soothing mechanism with another one, that in and of itself freaks them out, puts them under stress, and so they go to another, or it makes them fall back. Um,
0: But what what I always find interesting with that is is that that it explains why people need to, to reach a bottom before they do anything which sometimes people don't necessarily understand, which is if this is working for you and it's always worked for you, and it doesn't matter whether it's alcohol, it's jumping up and down, it's jumping out of airplanes, it's biting your your fingernails, it doesn't matter. If it's always worked for you, it will take you a while to notice that it isn't working. And if it's working some of the time still, but not some of the time, you're not likely to do anything to try to change it because it still works some of the time. It's yeah. only when it's failing in the biggest possible way that people are willing to get on. choice. It. Yeah. And That's you, know, right.
1: you, you can't deny it any longer. And Absolutely. you know, you have the will to live. Then you decide that, okay, I've got to find another way. And then usually, hopefully it sticks, but That's they still need and encouragement and, you know, um, a bit of compassion.
0: And this is the same pattern that you see with relationships.
1: Yeah, yeah. Sometimes the thing with relationships, which is um, a little bit trickier Mm -hmm. than that, is because relationships take two people, sometimes the relationship, you know, goes through a crisis phase and it's much easier for one person to actually leave to check out. That's the thing. When you're by yourself and you go through a crisis phase, you're just by yourself. And hopefully, you know, you stay here on earth and you, you, you deal with whatever it is that you have to deal with. Um, relationships take two people. So there's a, a, a willingness, well, there must be a willingness to engage and to persevere through the challenge. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I look at, I, I try, I, I have a, a model whereby the, the, the basic relationship skill, which, which I, I come into people's lives with and I teach them is communication. It's not just communicating with one another, but it's the self-awareness, communicating with yourself inside. And that's where things like what we've been talking about, where self-soothing, self-awareness, knowing your weak points, um, knowing how to relate to yourself in a way that makes you make better, more empowering choices and take better actions, knowing that, hey, if I do what I feel like doing, I'll just drink the whole bottle of wine and... (laughs) that won't end very, very well. So maybe I just better take two sips, put the wine down, (laughs) and, you know, deal with whatever it is that I have to to deal with. So um, relationship, uh, communication on an individual level is all the things that we've been talking about. And then communication, you know, you open up that bridge uh, with your partner to listen to them, to express yourself, and then for both of you to be able to contribute and find a way through life, you know, um, how to exchange because without communication, you ain't got anything. You ain't got you got squat. <laughs> you know, that there's this huge and communication doesn't always have to be verbal. No, <laughs> I mean really energetic communication is much more powerful actually. I, I think uh you know nonverbal communication can be a lot more powerful than verbal communication. But there must be an energy flow, you know, this to and fro between uh both both partners. If it's all one way, we're all you know, unidirectional, ain't good.
0: No, and I mean, and well. people often don't have the basic skills to even get there. Um, you know, as you said, you have to, you have to have self awareness. You have to have the ability to um, to actually consider where an impulse is coming from. You have to have the ability to trust your gut in ways that often people are educated out of. Um, And, um, and when you've been educated out of it, or you've got a history of poor choices, you have to learn how to reality test with a trusted person to say, okay, well, I'm feeling this way. And I'd be inclined to do this. What do you think of that? So that somebody who's trusted can say, yeah, I'm going to validate that feeling. And I'm going to tell you that you should act in the way that you're thinking you should, or, okay, that's not what's coming across here. So let's look at you know, where this is going or where this signal is going awry so that they can get really in contact with their own, um, you know, inner voice or inner knowledge, inner experience and and be able to express this stuff. And all of that is before you're even communicating with the other person, you know, then it's about being, then then how do you listen, you know?
1: How do you listen, you know, know, what do you communicate about, you know, how do you, you know, even express, how do you even say, I love you? Some people don't even know how to say that. They feel it, they don't know how to express it. Some people are scared of expressing what they think and what they feel because they can't deal with the way it feels inside them, let alone get it out of their mouths or actually demonstrate that love. Um, and then, you know, it turns into things like communication styles and your communication rhythm. Yep. You know, some love are very, very expressive like me. I'm talking, I'm talking to you. I'm using my hands a lot. <laughs> I, I have to use my body in order to communicate because that emphasizes, that underlines. And yep. you know, I move around and things like that. So that for some people can be quite unsettling. <laughs> and for me, if I was communicating with somebody who just moved their lips and didn't move their eyes and didn't like move around and gesticulate, I think I'm you know, having a conversation with Frankenstein. It will <laughs> unsettle me.
0: And so much of that is cultural. I mean, I come from a culture where people use their hands, and 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 there's lots of facial expression, and there's lots of body movement, and I um, managed to to my first two marriages. One was with somebody who was born born in the is, was just British. The second one was with somebody who was born in the U.S. but was raised in the U.K. from from the year from the age of nine, and with both of those the the gesticulation and the and the and the um, changes in volume and the movement of my body, you know, I would be like, why are you so being so aggressive? I'm like not being aggressive. I'm not even feeling angry. I'm just expressing myself because down. that's yeah. the way that that's my family. That's the way that I learn. And okay. I've I've been told at various points. I've been in situations where I've been told I'm not allowed to use my hands. I could just die, right? I felt, you, so, you know, when I was hands- at
1: school. When I was in school back in Cameroon, whatever, our teachers, of course, we were kids. When she wants us to be quiet, she'd make us sit on our hands.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, yeah, because then you can't <laughs> I mean, She was a genius.
1: So she'd just say, okay, right, everybody sit on their hands. And, you know, the whole class would go quiet.
0: <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> I find it really difficult for more than a couple of minutes, right? Yeah. Because it, somehow if I'm, if I'm not using my body, I'm not truly expressing to you how I feel. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we don't even give people some help around, you know, managing those cultural differences. And, yeah. and some of that is just such easy stuff, like saying, okay, listen, you're from different cultures. Oh, no, I, I know you think you're from the same culture, but look at your family of origin and your background. So yeah, back. They're so different.
1: diametrically opposed, you know. Yeah, yeah. Just look at how you feel when you go to grandma from mom's house, from mom's mom, yeah. or when you go to dad's mom's house. From, you know, just look at how, if you had grandparents, just feel the energy of your, both your sets of grandparents and the difference in, in, in their households. It's palpable.
0: And, uh, yeah, and it's really interesting because people so often miss that. And sometimes that's the seat of a lot of people's conflict is that they really just don't understand what their partner is saying or yeah. trying to express because the words don't match the energy and the body language that they're accustomed to.
1: Exactly. It, it doesn't filter through their own lenses that they're used to you know, filtering information through. And, um, and that's why, you know, the typical thing, you know, at the beginning when you're courting, everything's fine. Cause what happens, you put on a mask, you put on, you put your best face forward. You try to behave in a way that will endear you to your partner. And, you know, you leave all that family of origin stuff behind. But if you Sunshine. get together, yeah are yeah, yeah. But if you get together long enough, it always comes back because you bring it in with you. And usually then you have a kind of power struggle whereby, you know, the couple, each partner is trying to impose or sneak in their own family and their own value, their own family of origin stuff into the relationship or not, if they're diametrically opposed to where they came from. And, you know, the couple have to like, you know, shift and adjust to find something that works for them in their relationship as a couple, not to wholesale impose their stuff. And, you know, that's where negotiation, a little bit of compromise, listening, did I say listening <laughs> and also trying to express themselves
0: like right. when I was
1: married, I, I came from an environment whereby it was, um, we have an old boy. I mean, I'm, you know, we had five boys in our house. The only female in the house was my mom. And, um, my mom did most of the talking
0: <laughs> basically.
1: And, uh, we were just like, you know, orbiting around her and stuff like that. So, um, talking a lot with my ex-wife she always found me that I was you know too distant too silent not communicative enough and I just didn't get it because in my household I was one of the most talkative I I just didn't get it I I really just you know I was completely ignorant about these you know different um, family of origin dynamics in styles of communication and you know yeah, that was one of the big challenges that, that we faced when we were
0: there. Yeah. I always find it interesting watching people try to negotiate that. The other thing that people sometimes do at the beginning of a relationship is not necessarily put their best foot forward, but they're so enamored that they just they think things are cute and fine and okay about the other person that later they want to strangle them for. Right? Well, Yeah. It's this you know, desire not to see things that are going to present difficulty. And so you get things like, you know, oh yeah, I don't mind that, you know, they stay on the phone until two o'clock in the morning. It doesn't bother me, you know. And then it's well, like
1: There's the whole novelty back. thing, right? There's the, there's a the whole um what I love about relationships are all these paradoxes that come into play. There's a the whole okay, um, you know, like attracts like, they've got some kind of values, but then opposites attract. And there's a time and a place for that. And at the beginning of the relationship, you know, the things that piss off your you off with your partner and things like that. Ah, you find them cute because they're new and whatever. And there's this triumph of, you know, optimism, hope <laughs> over reality. <Yeah. laughs> you think that ah, we can sort through that. Ah, that's not too serious. Or if my partner violates a boundary, I think ah, you know what? Maybe I was being too rigid. Maybe it's time for me to lighten up and lose my boundaries. No, it's not. No, no. I mean,
0: and, and those are the things, but you have to, and we're actually not too far from, um, from winding up here. What you have to do if you're going to do that is you have to know what your own boundaries are and why you've got them and why they're important. And, and so again, I think what I bring come back to from our whole discussion is, is that this work. Then we're talking relationship skills starts with your relationship to yourself. This work yourself. starts yeah. with you learning about you and you learning to create, to, to make sure that you have that solid foundation that you're working from.
1: Yeah. And that's, and that's where we you to start. relate to somebody else. Yeah.
0: So if people want to find out more about what you do or work with you, where can they find you?
1: Well, they can find me best on my Facebook page. So if they go to worldwide right, web.facebook.com slash tony fonderson they'll find my tony fonderson facebook page i've just started a facebook group called the empowered relationship network i'll put that in the chat and you know it's a place where you know i'd like people to come and have you know discussions and let's have a conversation about what it takes to have conscious healthy relationships amongst adults and uh, i love that kind of stuff so um, anybody's welcome to come and join and um, yeah this has been fascinating and we haven't even scratched the surface
0: absolutely not I mean we get a-
1: <laughs> you, you know I've got so many so many more uh, relationship skills that, that of course that want to talk I mean, about
0: so you this know,
1: is an it, awesome conversation that needs to be had
0: absolutely I mean there are just so many um, there are just so many parts moving parts to this and um, I don't think people realize um, just how important this is and 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 they often, it's often oversimplified, um, you know, and, and again, in, you know, step one is showing up guys. And the only way to show up is to understand yourself is to have worked on your issues is to look at your issues and understand, you know, where are your, where do you have weaknesses? Where do you have strengths? What needs to change for you to relate? Well, what, you know. I always talk to people about that understanding that, um, that baseline of self-worth that so often people don't have. Um, and if you don't value yourself, if you don't think you're worthy, then even if you start out in a relationship feeling great because the other person's valuing you. So that's fantastic, right? You feel really worthy because they're pour- pouring all this attention and affection and love on you. If you don't value yourself, you won't be able to hold on to that. So anytime they do parts of their own life because we all separate and come together and separate and come together anytime they're moving and doing parts of their own lives it's like it's like people don't have object permanence right they can't exactly. believe the other person yeah. is there because they can't see them they can't feel them they're not constantly talking. They feel
1: abandoned, and then they start you know making all sorts of accusations and then you know spiraling into all sorts of crazy states which um aren't helpful for anyone yeah and and, and you know knowing yourself that's probably the most important relationship that we can have is with ourselves absolutely your partner can help you um you know your partner can assist you as you said your partner can be with you and you know be your companion but your partner can't live for you your partner can't breathe for you and your partner cannot complete you
0: yeah and, and and oftentimes that is what people are looking for. And to be able to understand that if you want to hold on to this, um, that you need to to be able to feel you first as steady and solid. Because once you feel you as steady and solid, then you can feel your partner there steady and solid when they're off doing their own thing. And there's, there's no anxiety about whether... Um, in a week's time, they're going to think of you or not, or in a day's yeah. time, they're going to think of you or not. And, and, guys, this is one that's been really, really, really intensely triggering for my, many people during this lockdown phase. for so many yeah. people.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Sheltering in place yeah. away from partners. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you haven't got a copy of my erotic memoir yet, check out um, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Press to find easy ways to grab a copy, Um, do check out my new podcast, which is Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee's Erotic Library, where you can hear some of the best erotic authors read their work, hear me read their work, hear me read my work. Um, It's a lot of fun. You can find it on Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. It comes out on a Monday, or you can grab it off my book site, or on Patreon, where if you join as one of my patrons, you can get extra interviews, extra erotica, swag, videos, and entry to exclusive events. So that is Patreon forward slash Lori Beth Bisbee. I encourage you to join me there. And speaking of inclusive events, exclusive events, have you heard about my Secret Suppers? I'm part of Secret Suppers Worldwide Gatherings. Um, these are exclusive gatherings where we meet to talk issues and network. If you think you might be interested in an exclusive, high-level conversation, do email me for an application. Next week, S is for scent, where my original interview with the amazing Rosa Dove will be played with some extra bits added in just for you on this replay. So do join me next week. Have a fantastic, hot, and healthy week, and I look forward to being with you all again next time. We hope you learned something today. But if you have more questions, go ahead and email them to loribeth at drloribethbisbee.com. Then be here next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of The A to Z of Sex with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee on Voice America Health and Wellness. See you next week.